0: As usual I asked our guest John Paulson to pound the table for some of this offseason John who are you pounding the table for
1: I am, is that can you can you catch me pounding the table I'm actually pounding the table <laughs> I am pounding the table for Curtis Samuel uh, now that he is in Washington with a uh, capable quarterback and Ryan Fitzpatrick um, not a lot of competition for targets I mean I know Terry McLaren's there uh, Logan Thomas but uh, he'll at least be the clear number three, but I bet you he's going to end up with the number two uh, role there. Um, And he also has a little bit of a rushing role. Uh, I like the fact that he's reuniting with uh, Ron Rivera. Uh, Scott Turner, the offensive coordinator there, is familiar with him. He uh, coached in Carolina when uh, Samuel was coming in um, so very familiar with his skill set I think he could run a little bit and we'll probably see 100 plus targets um, he should be a uh, wide receiver three at worst this year maybe he has a chance to, to be a wide receiver too
0: I love it I love it folks you heard it here target Curtis Samuel now let's get to the show welcome everyone to the most accurate podcast I am your humble host Brandon Niles and co-hosting today is the great Chris Allen Chris buddy how's it going
2: I'm doing well. I'm glad we're able to get such a great guest in John to come and sit down with us and talk about some of this free agent buzz. So let's get to it, man.
0: All right. As uh, you alluded to, and I mentioned earlier, we're happy to be joined by our director of forecasting at 444.com, John Paulson. You should all follow John on on Twitter at 444 underscore John. John, thank you so much for coming back on. Just talked to you a little bit ago. How you doing today?
1: I'm doing all right. I think you can add free agency blurber to my title <laughs> right now because I'm trying to keep up with all the uh, activity going on in free agency, but I'm happy to be here, guys.
0: Awesome! I before we get too far into it, I wanted to just say real quickly, congratulations on keeping Aaron Jones. I know you're a Packers fan. I know that that was uh, kind of up in the air, but I will say on our preview, you said that wasn't out of the question. So how do you feel getting to keep Aaron Jones in Green Bay?
1: Well, I know it's not the you know paying running backs is not the 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 right thing to do, quote unquote, right, right thing to do when it comes to real football. Uh, Twelve million a year, I think, for him. Uh, he is one of the my favorite players to watch and he's the one guy who really can can score from 55 yards out other than maybe Devonte adams and mvs if he's able to catch the ball um but game breaker type i'm really happy to have him back uh, i don't know what sort of ramifications this is going to have they haven't done anything else in free agency and i wonder if it's because they're a little bit cash strapped um but absolutely happy to have number 33 back
0: Awesome. Rumors of uh, um, an extension or a restructure for Aaron Rodgers may clue us in to what the rest of their plans are for this offseason. Uh, we're going to skip the segments this week and dive right into free agency. But as John alluded to, he's updating the free agency tracker on 4 for com, putting blurbs in as news happens. So make sure to check that out. I will put the link in on the show notes, but it's probably pretty easy to find from the homepage at 4 uh, for As far as our free agency topics this week, I – we all kind of got together, put together a bunch of questions we wanted to go over. Uh, Chris, do you want to start us off with the topic that interests you the most?
2: I would say the one that it really did interest me the most was that Curtis Samuel discussion that we were just having. Because if we're thinking about his development as a receiver, I mean, we've kind of seen his story in almost three parts. I mean, it was... Uh, 2018, 2019, where he was, if he wasn't injured, it was him battling for competition with DJ Moore. And then now, it, uh, I think over the last, let's say, year or so, it's been more of what, what's his involvement going to be as a, as a rusher out of the backfield. I mean, converted running back now turned, I mean, this jack-of-all-trades receiver. Uh, we saw a lot of what I would assume Ron Rivera hoped he would become last season, where he had, what was it, somewhere between 40 and 45 rushing attempts, uh, I mean, multiple catches, like both at both at a short distance and intermediate, I think it was around a 7.4 average depth of target. So, I mean, he was used like really, really the way that Ron Rivera wanted him to. And now he gets a chance to do the same thing now with Washington. So I'm really excited to see not just the combination of him working with Terry McLaurin, but having an aggressive quarterback with Ryan Fitzpatrick, what that's going to do for the Washington offense. And it's kind of weird to, for us to kind of uh, completely turn the page and look at the Washington football team as a fun team. I mean, on paper, this is a fun team to watch. I mean, we've been focused on the pass catchers, or most just the wide receivers and the quarterback, but think about Logan Thomas in his breakout season last year, Antonio Gibson now coming out of the backfield. So, I mean, at almost every single position, there is a player that we're interested in now, a part of Washington, where we really wouldn't have said that in 2020. So I'm really excited to see what they're able to implement now with having these types of playmakers across all the, all the pass catching positions, at least the fantasy positions that we care about.
0: Awesome. awesome. John, uh, you talked on Curtis Samuel. What do you think Ryan Fitzpatrick does to those weapons? Chris just mentioned Logan Thomas and Antonio Gibson, specifically Terry McLaurin coming off, uh, I guess, kind of a breakout year, both seasons. He's been pretty good. Uh, the touchdowns were lacking last year. How do you see Fitz magic uh, impacting those guys? Well,
1: you know, I was looking at my quarterback rankings and it's, you get out, you get out of the top eight or nine and, you know, Justin Herbert and Ryan Tannehill and Mm -hmm. Deshaun Watson has some headaches, uh, some (laughs) serious headaches. a good way to put it. (laughs) Yeah. We don't know for sure what's going on there. Uh, I guess time will tell on that, but you get into Jalen Hurts, Matthew Stafford, Tom Brady, Joe Burrow, Matt Ryan, and Kirk Cousins. That's my next six or so. I mean, I could easily see Ryan Fitzpatrick outscoring them uh, if he plays and starts fifteen, sixteen games. I mean, I think the big question with Fitzpatrick is who do they draft if they draft anyone, mm-hmm. and then how secure is his job uh, from a you know from uh, you know Fitzpatrick as a fantasy asset. I think Fitzpatrick as a quarterback that's going to be out there affecting the other receivers. Um, he's a pretty exciting relative to what they've had there. Uh, no offense to Alex Smith and Dwayne Haskins, but Fitzpatrick is going to give his receivers a, a chance to make plays on the ball. He's not. He's going to fit the ball wherever he can, and uh, you know, come what may, and he might. He's as easily, <laughs> easily likely to have four touchdowns as he is to have four interceptions uh, in a game. But uh, I like him because. It's just aggressiveness, and it's going to be a pretty fun offense, as as Chris mentioned. I mean, you, he's willing to throw the ball anywhere, basically, and he's got the weapons to do it now uh, with McLaren and Samuel and, and Logan Thomas and then a couple of running backs that can catch the ball.
0: Yeah, I, you know, and I kind of think they won't add anybody, or at least not anybody significant. Uh, you know, they're drafting... Uh, kind of that back half of the first round, which means five or six quarterbacks may be off the board by the time it even gets to them, which makes me think they might be thinking at a day two, day three guy to develop behind Fitzpatrick behind Kyle Allen. I I'm with you. I'm excited to see what he can do this year and really excited about Terry McLaurin thinking, uh, Fitzmagic might be the difference between four touchdowns and eight touchdowns this year, which uh, could be significant enough. Um, I also wanted to ask, uh, since we're talking quarterbacks and veterans, Drew Brees retired. Uh, New Orleans brought back both Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston. John, do you, think, uh, do you think Taysom Hill is the guy there? Do you think it's still up in the air? Do you think they add anybody? What's your take on the New Orleans quarterback situation post-free agency?
1: Well, before Jameis signed or re-signed, I had Taysom you know, in the top 20 uh, you can't look at what he did over the three or four games that he got to start, and and you know say he wouldn't be a good fantasy quarterback. I mean, just the running, the rushing ability right there, and then he showed he was a capable enough passer uh, that he could get by in that area as well. Uh, but with Winston resigning, I, I think I tweeted out this is going to be the weirdest quarterback competition ever, um, with with a former you know early pick, and then Taysom Hill, who everybody seems to hate um but and just is he really a true quarterback or not um so it's it's going to be interesting to see who ends up starting for this team I mean, this is the, apparently they're just going to have an open competition with these two uh and may the best man win but we might see you know Winston if he wins the job you know giving way to to Taysom Hill and some packages as well uh but I think if you're looking at quarter, you know the quarterback position like New Orleans quarterback that whoever wins this job and if they can hold on to it for 15, 16 games, they're probably going to be a QB one, uh, you know, given those other guys I was mentioning at the bottom of that uh, QB one ranking. So um, this is a good offense, still uh, creative, got some good talent there. Uh, so it's just going to be an interesting, crazy, strange uh, quarterback competition this August.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Um, Chris, uh, you know you've been doing a lot of best ball drafts alvin kamara's going top five and most michael thomas is still being drafted high uh are you interested in those two players and is it quarterback dependent in uh in whether or not your interest is in which guy wins out
2: no not necessarily because if we're looking at both of those guys uh, kamara and thomas specifically over the course of a uh, what 16 well i guess 17 game season uh for 2021 uh, i mean i'm not too concerned about the quarterback quarterback play last season, the, uh, the saints in general, they were about middling in terms of offensive yards per drive. And yet we still saw those spike weeks from Kamara. We still saw at least Michael Thomas, when he was healthy, be somewhat usable. We did see at least his target share start to plummet. And that's what started a lot of the questions regarding Michael Thomas as a, I mean, sure, like locked and loaded wide receiver one, but either way, if I were to get either of those two guys like at their current value, I don't mind too much regardless of who's going to wind up being the the quarterback there. We know what we can get in Taysom Hill. We've seen enough of his starts so far to know what he can do as a a starting quarterback. And the same thing with Jameis Winston in his spot starts as well over the last couple of seasons. So I'm not too concerned. Um, I mean, if they wind up making decision and just come out and say like Taysom Hill is going to be our starter or Jameis is going to be our starter so much, the better that gives us clarity. Uh, but for those two guys in particular, and even some of the ancillary guys, like if you wanted to try and take a stab at Traquan Smith or something like that, or, uh, Adam Troutman as a, as a late round tight end again, don't mind, but it's just more of a, I mean, we'll just given their current cost, it's not going to really impact my thoughts on who's going to be the quarterback one way or the other.
0: Sure. Are you buying Troutman? I'm just curious. I see him everywhere. I know that's a little off topic, but are you I kind of
2: have to because he graduated from Dayton and I live in Dayton. <laughs> so it's like, I, you know, I kind of have to support my brethren, even though he burned us on that one week that he was supposed to be the starter because um, I, I still survived in DFS that week that Troutman was was the chalk tight end. Uh, But I I do think that at least now that Jared Cook is like, he's gone already resigned to another team and he is going to be now one of their legitimate pass catchers in that offense. I mean, again, given where he's currently being drafted, I think I've seen him somewhere in the, I mean, pretty late in terms of tight end, like 20 plus something like that. Uh, So I'm not too concerned regarding the risk associated with drafting him at this point in the season.
0: That makes sense. Even Josh Hill's off in Detroit. Now, Uh, sticking with quarterbacks and uh, talking about, uh, quarterback impact John Andy Dalton says he's going to start in Chicago uh, do you think that that's actually the case and do you think that's a boon for Allen Robinson and David Montgomery or do you think that's a downgrade <laughs>
1: that, that's I think that's the first time that the word boon has been used in the same sentence as Andy Dalton's for some time <laughs> um <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know. I like. I think I've tweeted a few times. That I just feed off the energy of of Bears fans, uh, the the how upset they are about this whole situation, thinking they were gonna <laughs> coming into the uh, free agency, thinking they were gonna land uh, Russell Wilson, and instead uh, ending up with Andy Dalton. Um, you know, this is not all bad for uh, Allen Robinson uh, or Darnell Mooney. Um, or Cole Komet, because uh Andy Dalton, I think, is a you know, could be an upgrade from what they had last year. I mean, Mitch Trubisky played okay, Nick Foles wasn't great. Um, Andy Dalton could be serviceable and be a slight upgrade. I think everybody's comparing it to what could have been, maybe if if Russell Wilson had come in or if if Alan Robinson had perhaps moved on to another team with a better quarterback. Um, so I would, would, if you look at this in a vacuum, I would call this a slight upgrade for Allen Robinson. I mean, I love him as a player and a route runner, and he's just, he's a great receiver. Uh, so this could, uh, be slightly better for him. I wouldn't go crazy. I think I already had him in the top 15 or so thinking that he would at least get mediocre quarterback play. And I think Dalton will be able to provide that.
0: That's what I would think as well. I would think that Robinson continuing more, he's been doing it with bad quarterbacks, would think that he'd continue to do it with bad quarterbacks. And, you know, Dalton, I, I kind of get what they were doing, kind of like what Washington did. They're picking 20th. They probably thought they weren't going to get one of those top rookies. Why not bring in a nice little stopgap for a year? Uh, Chris, do you think Dalton is the day one starter in Chicago? And um, what do you think about that impact?
2: I mean, I don't see why not at this point, if they're not really rushing out to pick up any other sort of uh, notable quarterback free agent. I can't I can't think of too many that would at least move the needle in terms of least move the needle in terms of Andy uh, Dalton not being the starter at the uh, market. But either way, I do think that having Dalton as your as your starter uh, I think that would wind up becoming at least a little bit, uh, provide some stability to our current set of pass catchers. So like as, as you guys were just talking about, I mean, if it's Allen Robinson and it's uh, Darnell Mooney and then Cole Komet, okay, that's fine. I can see Dalton being able to at least support those three guys. And I do want to say that when it comes to the Darnell Mooney in particular, I know folks saw him being more of that downfield threat uh, during his during his rookie campaign, but that doesn't necessarily translate to while well, Andy Dalton doesn't push things downfield, so. Uh, there's no way that Darnell Mooney could at least be, or at least return some value in 2021. I mean, we saw the same thing for a guy like Michael Gallup in 2020 when Andy Dalton was uh, was still in Dallas. I mean, of course, Gallup wasn't taking some of those downfield shots like he was in his uh, in 2019, but he still wound up reducing uh, his A dot drop, but his target share actually wound up uh, wound up increasing somewhat. I think towards the end of the season, I think over the last like 10 to 12 games, it was Amari Cooper, CD Lamb. And Michael Gallup, they all had similar target shares. So while we kind of think about each, like those guys, like the Gallups of the world and the Darnell Mooney's of the world, as these like typecast into these deep threats and those guys that can only win or at least produce when it, they're taking those shots downfield, that's not necessarily the case. So I do think that while Mooney still has a ways to go, I mean he still needs to I mean learn a bit more about the receiver position. I think that there's enough there that Andy Dalton can use him as a wide receiver opposite Allen Robinson. In terms of fantasy production, uh, in his sophomore campaign, so I think there's I think there's enough there in order to do that. All right, so the one thing that I mean, the one uh, from a wide receiver perspective that I do want to focus in on, I mean, big free uh, free agent signing now that we've got Kenny Galladay as a New York Giant. So my first thought was that this was going to be. I don't know. This is great for. I mean, great for the offense as a whole. I know everybody's already feeding off of the. You know, it has to be now for for Danny Dimes and what he uh, what he can be as a as a quarterback with all these weapons around him. I guess John. I mean, what was your initial take on this on this particular signing, and how do you think it impacts the rest of the pass catchers?
1: I, I initially thought it was bad for Darius Slayton, good for Daniel Jones, probably a wash for. Sterling Shepard, because he's going to move to the slot, and I think he's been pretty productive in the slot. I have to check those numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably a downgrade for Evan Ingram. But, I mean, this is all relative to them not really signing anyone or replacing uh, Golden Tate. He was a 4-or-5 target guy this last year. Um, So there is that that uh, Galladay could absorb, but I think he is most likely to threaten Darius Slayton's air yards. Um, And so I've moved him down. And I think Sterling Shepard is going to be a, a good PPR guy still, and, and probably will see his seven targets a game. And they want to keep uh, Evan Ingram involved, but they also signed uh, Kyle Rudolph. So I do worry a little bit. I haven't been a big Ingram guy lately. Um, faded him last year in the rankings. Um, and I just don't know how many you know snaps he's going to see uh, relative to last year with, with – uh, with Kyle Rudolph in the fold now because they gave him a pretty good contract to, to come and play for the Giants. 100%
2: 100% agree there. I mean, I just think from a holistic standpoint, this is kind of what you would want to see from from an offense that's trying to at least bolster some of their support. Because after last season, it was just absolutely disastrous. I mean, you lose Saquon Barkley, Evan Ingram kind of misfires again in now his what, third, fourth season. And really, they're just relying on Danny Dimes in order to produce where you really don't have a lot of established pass catchers there. So I think bringing in a guy like Kenny Galladay, who I think uh according to PFF he was at, at about a 20% snap share from the slot so now you bring in this I mean dynamic perimeter receiver in order to help out the rest of your pass catchers I think it should be great for uh for the Giants but I don't know Brandon what did you think about the about the signing and I mean do you agree with with John and like kind of where we see or how we're looking at the offense now moving into 2021
0: I do uh, kind of across the board uh, agree with what John was saying I've been a big Kenny Galladay fan for a while since he was drafted I really like him I I will say there's a little part of me there's that little bird in my ear that remembers free agent wide receivers who sign really big deals with teams that have question marks at the quarterback position and uh, my apologies to all Daniel Jones fans for saying that but I you know typically that doesn't work. Typically we see a big reduction in productivity. And so there's a little part of me that's scared of that. So I kind of think it's better for Daniel Jones than it is for Kenny Galladay, but uh, that that's kind of where I am there. <laughs> yeah. But. If I
1: could, if I could chime in on that, I actually wrote one of the articles about the free agent receiver and studied it. Uh, and typically it's a downgrade unless you're seeing an uptick in targets, a bigger role or an improvement at the quarterback position. And I don't see either We really didn't talk about what this means for Galladay. He was a third-round pick last year, maybe going into the early fourth at the latest. And I I would start to think about him maybe in the fifth, sixth this year, um, given the change at quarterback. And likely, uh, you know, targets probably won't be as high as what he was seeing in Detroit, since there's uh, some more talent there at receiver.
0: And a downgraded quarterback. So I, I, I'm glad yeah. to hear it because sometimes I just say those things and then they're wrong. So I'm really glad to hear that it's not, <laughs> that that you've done the homework and actually backed up on that. Uh, interesting they paid him so much money because the other receivers seem to get short-term, lower-priced deals. Specifically, Juju Smith-Schuster took a one-year deal. Supposedly, it was less money to stay in Pittsburgh. Uh, Chris, l- looking at the AFC North, um, What do you think of Juju Smith-Schuster staying in Pittsburgh, and then um, we'll have John chime in on how that affects Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool?
2: I mean, I know that there were the he had the other offers. I think it was what Eagles and also maybe Kansas City. I think was involved in the mix when it came to when it came down to it. So I get him wanting to stay. I mean, because that's his hometown and whatnot. But I'm just trying to understand what his usage is going to look like now here in 2021. I mean, they've now have both Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool as established wide receivers downfield. Uh, Eric Ebron essentially, I think, to, to, in in my eyes, Eric Ebron essentially took over what we thought Juju Smith Juju Smith-Schuster was going to be in 2020. I mean, Eric Ebron wound up having a higher A dot than Juju Smith-Schuster, where. Both were operating out of the interior, both were working the middle of the field, but yet it was Eric Ebron that was getting more of those downfield shots. I mean, they were almost equal in terms of in terms of red zone targets. So where is that production that we would expect to see from Juju Smith-Schuster going to come from here in 2021 with all of those, again, established guys that are that are still going to be a part of that offense? So I'm I'm concerned about what his target uh, target share is going to be moving forward. My only hope is that we can start to see more of those downfield shots going to him uh, and not so much Eric Ebron. But again, I just I want to see how that's going to shake out. And John, what do you think? How do you think that impacts Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, and I guess Ben Roethlisberger?
1: Well, it's it's it was weird when I when I commented about this uh, in my blurb and everything. People are like, "Well, isn't this just the same as last year?" And it is, but I think the when you get into free agency and the, and a player like Smith Schuster hasn't resigned already with his team typically they move on i mean usually they have these deals done there's a you know the rare case of somebody not you know the buying the market that they want when they you know would go, go talk to other teams um but typically if, if free agency has started you can pretty much write off uh, these these players and for him to come back you know you're getting kind of excited about Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson in terms of what they're Um, targets could be like if Smith-Schuster moved on because he he averaged eight targets per game he ended up uh, at wide receiver 18 and half ppr formats and so you've got him at 18 Chase Claypool finished at 19 because he had that you know monster game in the early early part of the season and then Deontay Johnson who I think everybody considers to be the number one receiver there he was at 22 um, you know, and Smith-Schuster played 16, Claypool 16, and Deontay Johnson 15 games, and he had some injury games, um, but always was seeing double-digit targets whenever he was healthy. I still would rank them Deontay, uh, Claypool, and Smith-Schuster in that order, but they're going to be really jumbled and really close. And I think their ADP is going to really be pretty close, uh, you know, fifth, sixth round, um, maybe a l- maybe one round lower, sixth, seventh round with these three. Um, but... It just It's just kind of a downer because you're thinking Claypool and Deontay are now going to rocket ship off into the stratosphere. But uh, with Smith-Schuster back and, as, as uh, Chris mentioned, Ebron still you know getting some targets, um, there's only so high that, that Claypool and, and Deontay Johnson can, can go, and I don't think any of these guys are a real threat for top-12 type numbers uh, when they're all three healthy.
2: I mean, I'm just hoping at the very least – Ben's arm winds up holding up so that we're still getting that massive passing volume because what was it was another 500 plus attempts for that Pittsburgh Steelers offense in 2020. And I'm hoping that stays the same. But even if there's some sort of reduction in that, there's going to be I mean, it's going to be a ripple effect across all of them. But again, I think it just comes down to what that target share is going to look like here moving forward.
0: Folks, early bird pricing for 2021 4 for 4 memberships are available. Don't hesitate to sign up early and capitalize on the ever-growing off-season content we bring you day in and day out. Check out classic, pro, and DFS embedding and memberships up to 25% off right now. See 444.com slash plans for details.
2: So, John, like John and Brandon, I wanted to ask you both about a couple of situations where it looks like a couple of guys are going to wind up either negating each other's production or we just don't know what to do with either situation. So the first is uh, the Las Vegas Raiders. So on top of jettisoning, um, jettisoning most of their offensive line. Ah, uh, they get rid of Nelson Aguilar. They bring in John Brown, but the curious signing of also bringing in Kenyon Drake. I mean, after the Cardinals wind up uh, letting him walk, they bring in Kenyon Drake to back up uh, Josh Jacobs. But then we've also got the situation out in New England, where we've got now two. I mean, the the Patriots went on a tear, signed two. I mean, big name tight ends in Johnu Smith and Hunter Henry. I mean. First, focusing on the Raiders situation, I mean, how do you how are you a- approaching projecting both Kenyon Drake and Josh Jacobs in 2021?
1: From my perspective, this is just a huge problem for Josh Jacobs because he was, you know, the le- so far in his career, he's been significantly better than anyone that's been behind him. And he still is, I think, better than Kenyon Drake, at least the Kenyon Drake we saw in 2020. Uh, I feel like he maybe had a foot injury, uh, in August, um, that has li- that lingered, and maybe he had a high ankle sprain or something that we just didn't know about um, for most of the year because he just looked like he was running um, in quicksand some of the time. Uh, he had some moments, uh, but it wasn't the explosive Kenyon Drake that we saw towards the you know the tail end of the previous season. Uh, what we saw in bursts when he was given a- enough touches in Miami. Uh, so if if Drake is fully healthy and you know twenty twenty is not the full the new normal for him, then he's going to be a big problem for Josh Jacobs. If he's the Kenny Drake of last year, then Jacobs Jacobs I think is you know better than he is, and maybe that will show in camp, and and it, it, Drake will just become a backup. Um, but the money that they gave him indicates that they're expecting him to you know lighten the load for Jacobs, and that's a big downgrade for Jacobs. I mean, he wasn't even catching passes very consistently. Um, without Drake, and now they're already talking about using Drake in the passing game. So um, from a PPR standpoint, certainly Jacob's uh, stock is down.
2: Without a doubt. And uh, my thought is that, and this this makes me even more curious about the signing, but it makes it seem like they want to use Kenyon Drake in what they had, had envisioned for Lynn Bowden when they had originally signed him. So again, it just seems like a mess. I don't know what to do with either of these guys uh, from a best ball perspective. It looks like both of them are now kind of shifted down in terms of ADP. I mean, Brandon, I mean, would you have I mean, are you trying to draft either one of these guys from a best ball perspective? Or I mean, even once we get into redraft season, we're drafting drafting our respective teams for the 2021 season. Are either these guys guys that you would particularly want to target at this point?
0: I'm waiting for Jacobs's ADP to go down. I I think it will, and it. Uh, but what I'm seeing is he's still going like end of the second round, so that's a little too rich for me at this point. Uh, when it does go down, I'm kind of interested in him. He's not somebody that we were looking at for the passing game anyway. He only had 45 targets last season, 27 as a rookie. Uh, Jalen Richard and Devontae Booker combined for 115 carries, 44 targets last year. I know part of that was Booker taking over a couple games while Jacobs was out, but you know I think that's the work we're going to see Drake it drake maybe siphoning more of those targets uh, i think that's more what we're looking for uh from him but that's that's just me i've never been really really high on Kenyon drake anyway uh so i i'm buying jacobs once he gets down to that like late third early fourth round territory that's where i'm gonna buy him once his adp drops
1: i would like to ask you would you take chase edmonds over josh jacobs right
0: now Right now, no. Just because I'm not convinced the Cardinals don't add somebody else, but if the Cardinals okay. don't add somebody else, then yes, that 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 answer will change.
1: Yeah, the other the other issue is, as Chris alluded to, is the offensive line issues with the with the Raiders, and I'd like to see what that looks like as we get into the summer uh, before investing too much in Jacobs.
0: Yeah, they do think Andre James is ready to take over at center, and they think Colton Miller is going to take a step, and they brought back Donald Penn, so there's hope. There's at least hope for that line to to improve this year. But you're absolutely right. I wanted to talk kind of – we're touching on running backs and people eating into uh, workloads and things of that sort. I want to bring up a couple teams in tandem. Uh, Houston – decided to sign all the best 2013 running backs so they've got Mark Ingram David Johnson and they've got uh Philip Lindsay I guess Philip Lindsay's a a new face but those three I want to know uh if we're interested in any of them and then I want to know if Marlon Mack is going to cut into Jonathan Taylor now that he's back on a one-year deal and healthy John uh you kind of I remember you talking a lot about Jonathan Taylor Marlon Mack last year uh do you think that Mac is a threat to Taylor's workload, or do you think it's just a change of base, just a backup?
1: I certainly think he was a threat to Jonathan Taylor's workload last year. Um, then he got injured, and that freed up Jonathan Taylor somewhat, but he still had his touches limited, you know, deep into the season. Um, if Milan Mac is his usual self, then this is a little bit of a concern because it does seem like uh, Frank Reich wants to run a committee and you know, really rest his running backs so they're all fresh and they all have their own skill sets that he can utilize. And, uh, it doesn't seem like he wants to have a bell cow so much. Uh, so it's a little bit concerning for Taylor. I moved him down a few spots when Mac resigned. Um, as far as Houston, um, you know, I was probably going to be avoiding David Johnson anyway, cause this, this, you know, this <laughs> offense is starting to shape up. Like it's going to be a complete mess. I mean, a lot of that has to do with who the quarterback is. Um, uh, I think what happened was they signed Ingram right away. They thought that he was going to be the RB2, and then Lindsey came available at a really cheap price, and they liked him, so they decided to add him to the mix as well. I mean, I don't know if they're going to go back to the wishbone um, and try to run that, (laughs) Um, but this is a lot of uh, headaches, I think, for fantasy owners. I, I really wouldn't be touching any of these three um, because Lindsey and Ingram are good enough to sort of eat into David Johnson's workload. I don't see him getting 300, 350 touches that he probably needs to be a fantasy starter at this point. And there was one other thing that uh, Chris mentioned, which was uh, the Hunter Henry, John o. Smith thing. And I was excited about John o. Smith when he landed with New England, but then they signed Henry and I had to move John o. Smith way down. Uh, I've got him as a you know mid-range a tight end two and i've got hunter henry like as a high-end tight end two i think they're probably going to cancel each other out uh, unless they really um increase the, the passing game here in terms of volume i mean last year they were so run heavy uh, i just don't see how you're going to have multiple people including nelson aguilar and, and julian edelman potentially back um getting targets and having all these guys be fantasy relevant
0: yeah, I was that's but that was the saddest moment of free agency for me when Hunter Henry signed with New England because <laughs> yeah. I thought we were gonna get I was like, give me Buffalo or Carolina, give me a new spot where we'll have a relevant tight end, and then we instead we get two
2: guys I like cancel each other out. Uh Chris, any interest in any of those Houston backs? No, and I was really hoping that for a guy like Philip Lindsay, especially given his his story. I mean, being the free agency, I mean, not free agency, undrafted free agent, I mean, just the absolute star and like what he was able to do at the running back position over the past couple of seasons, I was hoping you'd find like a better landing spot than that. I was really hoping he'd he landed in San Francisco, given their penchant for under, well, not underpaying, but finding cheap running backs in order to, <laughs> minus Jarek McKinnon. But either way, um, I'm, I'm not touching either, I mean, any of those guys, I mean, especially with uh, they have... I mean, a massive, like massive question marks at quarterback. I mean, Will Fuller is already gone. So really nobody, no other pass catchers. I mean, no other wide receivers of note. So I just can't see that offense being really productive for me to want to invest in their running game.
0: Sure, sure. And you mentioned how cheap uh, these running backs are. You know, we saw Malcolm Brown go sign in Miami. We saw, uh, you know, we saw Philip Lindsay for a bargain deal. And then we saw Chris Carson stay home in Seattle uh, while Seattle lost Carlos Hyde to the Jags. Uh, Chris Carson staying there on kind of a sweetheart deal. Is he going to continue to be one of the most, uh, I guess, underappreciated fantasy backs out there that you can get those mid rounds? What do you think of Carson, John, staying in Seattle?
1: I think it was probably the best landing spot for him. Uh, especially with Hyde moving on uh, maybe Rashad Penny takes that Hyde role a little bit. And, you know, Carson's carries took a hit last year. He was under 12.0 uh, 0. 0 for the first time uh, in a while, uh, but he saw a career high, I believe in, in targets per game or uh, catches per game. Uh, that might flip a little bit where he's now back to being the primary ball carrier and Penny gets some of those catches, but he's going to be heavily involved in, in that, in that offense. And, you know, Seattle, started by letting Russ cook and then went back to being run heavy and they're probably back to being run heavy now. And that's probably good for Carson. I, I think it's a great landing spot for him, you know, not knowing where he was going to go at the start of free agency.
0: Yeah. Chris, are you buying Chris Carson? He's probably going to be a fourth or
2: fifth round pick. Are you, are you buying him there right now as you're drafting your best balls? Oh, I would take him probably ahead of ADP if he's at fourth or fifth round. I mean, given how, how much he was involved in both the, uh, but the rushing game, not just the, like overall attempts but just within the red zone uh, i mean his target share was up to about 10 11 last season so if we're looking for a running back on a productive offense that's also involved in the passing game and will most likely have the majority touches like those money touches within the red zone i mean carson kind of checks all of those boxes at this point so if his adp is going to settle in the, you know, fourth, fifth round. I mean, and really, I mean, from a profile standpoint, he profiles like those guys we typically draft in the second or third round. So I'd want to try and get as much of him at that cost as I possibly can until again, I mean, most folks will start to catch on. And I mean, we'll be probably drafting him at the same spot we were in 2020 or 2019, rather.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have him at 14 and half PPR I moved him up from 20 or 21, not knowing where his landing spot was going to be. And he moved ahead of DeAndre Swift with uh, Jamal Williams being signed there, so um, that kind of tells you what I think of him. like High end RB two, I think.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's about where I would put him here at this point. And unless something changes with with the way that the team has been posturing, I mean, after the release of Shady, uh, I mean, the, the numerous uh, pressers from Pete Carroll saying that they're, I mean, balanced attack, more rushing. Uh, I mean, I think it just all kind of points to Carson having at least at the very least a similar workload in 2021 than he did, uh, that he did that he did in previous seasons.
0: Yeah, it's sticking with Seattle. Gerald Everett also signed in Seattle. He was one of my favorite free agents because I, I thought he might get a, a, a really good opportunity to get more snaps, more targets in a new location. Uh, Seattle might be that. Do you think, John, do you think Gerald Everett can hold off Will Disley and the fact that it seems like Russell Wilson's staying put? Uh, do you like that fit as much as I do?
1: I mean, Seattle's a good spot for a tight end. They've been looking for, t- to fill that tight end uh, weapon uh, with a weapon for the last several seasons. They've been trying different people. Greg Olson and Will Disley had a great little run prior to getting injured. Uh, I think he tore his ACL, if I am maybe it was Achilles. Um, but came back okay last year and was a part time player. Um, I'm seeing some stuff saying that, well, Disley's still going to be atop the depth chart and Everett's going to have to rotate in. Um, they gave him, I think, $6 million, uh, which is a pretty sizable chunk of change. It looks to me like they, they're looking at him as being a starter, or at least somebody that has potential to be the starter and be out there for 80% of the snaps. And if that's the case, then he's going to you know, threaten tight end one numbers because uh, uh, of the way that Russell Wilson throws to the tight ends in the red zone. Um, and just generally generally speaking, he likes to throw to the tight end, or he has over the years. Uh, I think the, the question mark is really his spot on the depth chart and whether or not he's able to hold off these other guys. Uh, Hollister moved on, uh, Olsen retired, so it's just him and Disley right now, and um, Disley did have that great run, uh, which makes me a little worried, but he didn't do much last season, and uh, Everett has been, is one of these backups that has showed some tantalizing uh, ability, and you want to see them go, you know, get starter snaps elsewhere. And I think this is an opportunity for him.
2: So, I, I, and again, I I agree there on on John's point because I, I do think that. it's kind of like a chicken and egg thing where a lot of folks will look at the historical positional target rates for Seattle and see that they've been at a at the very least a middling or back end of the league type of type of offense when it comes to targeting the tight end position but who have they had to throw to and I mean John kind of listed them out already I mean it was Greg Olson in the twilight uh, twilight years of his season and uh, I think there was when Greg Olson between Jacob Hollister Uh, Disley getting injured they haven't really had a an established uh, athletic tight end in order to really like bring that position to the forefront of their offense so now bringing in Gerald Everett who we saw not only being a uh, I mean both a pass catcher but also I mean he had some rushing ability as well within the red zone with uh, the way that LA used him a, a few times so I do think that he brings that extra element to the offense but Again, can they scheme him or can they actually maximize that talent? Is that within, I mean, Pete Carroll's wheelhouse at this point? And he might just try and just pound it in with Chris Carson as many times as possible, but who who knows? Uh, but back to wide receivers real quick. I wanted to get both y'all's take on Will Fuller to Miami. I mean, we alluded to it earlier when we were talking about Houston. And so now Tua, I mean, assuming Tua is going to be the starter, I mean, we've heard again some uh, rumors about them trying to move on or maybe draft on their quarterback or something like that. But will fuller now in Miami gets uh Devonte Parker, Preston Williams coming back from injury. Uh, then also they've got um, their, their tight end. I mean, uh, Oh my gosh. Why am I blanking on the tight end? Gasecki you. Thank you. Um, yeah. But they're, uh, but they also have, I mean, again, established pass catchers at each of the positions. And now they're also being rumored to, I mean, be in the running back. I mean, top elite running back conversation for the 2020 draft. So, I mean, John, what are you thinking about Wolf Fuller and how he's going to impact moving over to Miami?
1: Well, he's going, this is back to the free agency uh, receiver study. He's going from Deshaun Watson, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He was in a, a 6.8 target role uh, per game last year, and he finished with uh, 879 yards in 11 games, um, 80 yards per game. Uh, so I don't think he's going to see that volume from uh, Tua or in Miami um, he might uh, but the quality of the targets are going to go down unless Tua makes this incredible leap that we no one's really expecting him to make um, so I think this is certainly a downgrade from where he was in uh, Houston you also have the his long injury history and which you know whether or not he's injury prone or if that's the thing if that's actually a thing I don't know um, he played 14 games 10 games 7 games 11 games and then Last year he was doing fine, but he got slapped with a PED suspension. And did that play any role with his health? And how is he going to be coming off of that PED suspension? Because I know there's been some talk and studies done on players that have uh, been caught or whatever being uh, with the PEDs and don't produce as high a level when they come back. So that's another concern of mine. So I think with given the, the talent at the other positions there, Devontae Parker is kind of a target hog. Gasicki definitely at the tight end position is kind of a target hog. Uh, I would definitely have fuller lower than where I had him last year, and that was more like sixth, seventh round value. Uh, he outproduced that, so I probably would have him, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth in that range. It's sort of a high upside guy that uh, is a little bit risky.
0: Uh, I'm with you, John. I, uh, you know, as a Dolphins fan, I'm more excited about what this brings to Tua than I am about what it brings to Will Fuller. I Not that I'm drafting Tua as a QB1, but I do think this might make him fantasy-relevant, whereas I think, like, a couple weeks ago, y- you would question whether or not he was even, even in that territory. Uh, we're almost out of, like, elite or not elite, but top-level free agents out there. But I wanted to touch quickly on uh, Corey Davis and Keelan Cole signing with the Jets. More Corey Davis than Keelan Cole, but uh, Corey Davis, another guy, another free agent, leaving a good position, a good quarterback for a very unstable situation. Uh, John, your thoughts on Corey Davis with the Jets and uh, whether or not you have any interest in that Jets passing game. (laughs) Well,
1: I don't (laughs) know what's going on at quarterback there. That's the big question mark. Um, Davis, obviously, took took the payday and uh, lots of opportunity with the Jets. I mean, J- Jamison Crowder's there, uh, Denzel Mims, and then they signed Keelan Cole. So they actually have some talent there um, at, within the top four. Uh, just whoever's quarterbacking, that's good for them, but I don't know if it's good for these receivers. Um, the nice thing about Davis when he was with Tennessee is that Tennessee passing attack was not – uh, high volume but it was extremely efficient and you know his fantasy points per target fancy points per route run uh, yards per route run all those numbers were fantastic He's just not going to see that uh, with the Jets and I think that anyone drafting him maybe where he finished last year uh, are going to be sorely disappointed I would have him as probably a wide receiver for wide receiver five type right now until we know exactly what the pecking order is going to be in terms of the targets. Crowder is a target hog. Um, Mims is up and comer, and we just don't know the volume of this passing game, uh, you know, coaching changes and stuff there. So not really excited about any of these uh, Jets pass catchers right now.
0: Makes sense. Uh, Chris, I want to I hear your thoughts on Marvin Jones real quick since he's a former bangle, uh, went to the Lions, did, did surprisingly well for the Lions. Now he's in Jacksonville uh, with presumptively uh, Trevor Lawrence coming in, Urban Meyer probably going to get some targets there. Uh, are you interested in Marvin Jones in Jacksonville?
2: Yeah, I think so. Because if we're trying to think of, or we're looking at his uh, Trevor Lawrence's production within college, I mean, he, he was, I mean, a prolific quarterback at, I mean, at all levels of the field. I mean, he was able to create out of structure, create downfield as well. So if we're looking at what Marvin Jones has been capable of doing when he was in Detroit, I mean perimeter downfield like type pass catcher. I still think while it might the volume might not be there in Lawrence's first season. I still think that there's probably going to be uh, enough like their connection there between him and Marvin Jones and the way that he's being able to win on the perimeter as a downfield threat that he should provide some utility to that offense. But then if not uh, for Marvin Jones himself, I mean what that utility also provides to a guy like DJ Chark. Because if you have an established pass catcher, another guy working working across from you on the other side of the field, DJ Chark also can be presented with more opportunities. Because that was kind of his downfall in 2020. Because when we saw Chark's A dot start to tick up over the over the like 10 13 weeks of the season, while they were still trying to figure out. Uh, their quarterback situation, that's where we, we didn't see that consistency from Chark that we saw in 2019. So I think having a guy like Marvin Jones there will kind of open up those intermediate areas of the field for a guy like Chark. And so we might see his production start to pick up next season.
0: Uh, we're running low on time, so I just want to close out with, like, a favorite marginal guy we haven't mentioned. Because uh, I don't see any more big names on there. But there's definitely still some players that could have an impact. Uh, John, is there somebody on that list that we haven't talked about that you're kind of eyeing, that you think could really take a step uh, based on new digs?
1: Well, I don't know if it would be taking a step, but I think people are down. I was actually considered this young man for my Pound the Table segment, but uh, John Brown for, for the Raiders. Oh, Joining a team, it was a very affordable deal, which made me upset as a Packer fan. Um, but joining a team that has wide receiver issues, that got rid of uh, Tyrell Williams, uh, Henry Ruggs didn't pan out. Brian Edwards hasn't panned out Neither I mean, I'm just they might pan out, but they just haven't yet. Sure. You know, Hunter Renfro is probably the biggest competition for targets uh, in terms of a volume pass catcher at the receiver position. They they basically have Darren Waller as their primary pass catcher in that offense, I think Brown, if he can stay healthy, which is the big question with him, he had an injury play year, but when he was out there, he was pretty productive. The two previous seasons uh, were very productive. He was great with Buffalo the previous year before Diggs got there. And then he was great with uh, Baltimore uh, prior to the Lamar Jackson switch at quarterback. Um, And when they were running it like constantly with, with Jackson over the second half of the season, that's when Brown's, uh, numbers took a took a dump so uh you know with Derek Carr playing pretty well last year um you know Rugs Edwards sort of underperforming I think there's a big opportunity for Brown if he can play 14 plus games uh you know to finish as a wide receiver three or higher and I think his ADP is probably significantly lower than that although I haven't looked uh, I just know that uh, people are sort of down on him for one reason or
0: another yeah, still game breaker. Still likes uh has a nose for the end zone. Derek Carr, you're right, remarkably surprisingly efficient last year. Uh Chris, anyone we haven't talked about that you're uh kind of keeping an
2: eye on? I'm keeping an eye on AJ Green for obvious reasons. Uh you know, be me <laughs> being a Cincinnati fan and also he's been my favorite player uh, for probably about the last decade or so. Well not obviously not the de- last decade, but still. Um for the longest time he's been one of my favorite players. I don't I don't want to believe that he's done, that just might be my personal bias, Uh, but I saw at least a quick tweet from our own uh, noted IPA enthusiast, TJ Hernandez, when he was talking about uh, the, like what AJ Green could possibly provide there in Arizona and opposite I mean, I know he's going to be opposite DeAndre Hopkins, but one of the things that I noted was I took a look at his contested catch rate uh, from PFF. It was actually slightly above Devontae Adams, uh, slightly below guys like Tyreek Hill. And so at least from a physical perspective, I still think that he's capable of uh, playing that big body, like wide receiver type role. It's just that without an offseason to really work with Joe Burrow, He's still coming off the injury. I mean, there's some context there, at least that at least makes me hope that there's still some juice left in those legs and that body of his. So and with Kyler Murray being a bit more accurate, his on target percentage on tight window throws was much higher than Joe Burrows. Uh, I'd still think that there's a possibility that, you know, AJ Green could at least provide some utility to that offense. Am I going to draft him ahead of ADP? No. Am I going to draft him? Possibly not. But at least for the Cardinals offense as a whole, I think it's another decent weapon for Kyler Murray to sustain his value where he's currently being drafted at.
0: I love it. I love that. I'm I'm excited about the prospect of A.J. Green not being done. That's what I that's what I, I want more A.J. Green. I'm not ready to say goodbye yet. Um, <laughs> I, I always like to kind of dance around the fringes a little bit. Uh, so I wanted to bring up Dan Arnold, who quietly played pretty well at the end of last season for Arizona, goes to Carolina, uh, has a shot at that starting point tight end job in carolina so he's somebody that i obviously i'm not drafting him highly but if i'm taking like a late round stab at a tight end i didn't get an elite guy early dan ardle might be one of those guys i shove at the back of my roster uh john any uh final people you want to bring up that we didn't talk about just giving you a chance since uh i know we ran up on time and probably left way too many people off the list (laughs) Uh,
1: yeah we should probably do a part two where we just talk about fringe guys in the second third level of free uh, free agents (laughs) but um today uh josh reynolds signs with tennessee and i I, you know i mentioned their efficiency last um uh my last uh, blurb whatever but josh reynolds uh anthony ferks are both coming in uh to this passing attack that has been highly, highly efficient. Even if they don't see 100-plus targets, they could still turn in fantasy-relevant seasons because of the the, uh, the nature of the, the Tennessee passing game and how efficient Ryan Tannehill's been in it. I'm a little worried uh, about the offensive coordinator moving on. Um, they're probably still going to be run heavy, but uh, if if the new OC is decent uh, or can kind of carry the torch uh, uh, for Arthur, um should be okay. Um, and Ferkser did have a hundred yard game last year. Reynolds had some big games for the Rams, um, here and there, although he was the third option in that passing game, sometimes fourth, uh, he's moving up to probably second or third, uh, with Ferkser, you know, vying for targets outside of uh, AJ Brown. So both those players are, are more on my radar now than they were prior to free agency.
0: Yeah. It's exciting to see what Tennessee does. And Josh Reynolds getting a legit chance at a starting job where he's not buried behind Robert Woods and, uh, you know, Cooper cup, which will be a lot of fun. Uh, we're out of time. So we'll move forward. Uh, listeners, don't forget to follow John on Twitter at four for four underscore John, go subscribe to four for four.com gain access to all of the fantastic content available there. John, thank you so much for joining us. Any final, final words of advice before we go.
1: Uh, just stay frosty. Everyone. We've still got some guys out (laughs) there that uh, haven't signed. I'm, I'm staying frosty as I can. If I miss anybody, let me know on Twitter uh, and I'll get it blurbed.
0: Sure thing. And Chris, thank you so much as always. Anything you want to add before we call it a night?
2: No, I'm just hoping to see everybody in some of those best ball lobbies. I mean, it's time to go out and take advantage of these ADP swings now. So come and find me. I'll be almost on every single platform. But if you want to talk more about it, just come find me on Twitter at Chris Allen FFWX
0: love it love it uh listeners we may open up the mailbag at some point to so tweet us questions you can email me at brandon at 444.com don't forget to subscribe to this podcast as chris mentioned you can find him on twitter at chris allen ffwx you can follow me on twitter at two guys brandon thanks so much and have a good day